All human beings, including you and me, give their lives to something. Between this day and your last day, you will give your life to something. The only question is, what will you give your life to? Will it be worthy? Will it be worthy? John Ortberg asked this question in his book, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. In the New York Times Week in Review on May the 9th, there was an article that caught my attention. It was a review of a book called The Ask by Milo Burke. We were stuck between meanings, or we were the last dribbles of something. The fall of the Soviet Union, this was the, the death of analog, the beginning of aggressively marketed nachos. Note the sudden swerve from world historical grandiosity to consumerist banality, the obsession with generalizing a personal experience. Maybe not the glory of rushing a Nazi foxhole or braving municipal billy bats to stop a war in Indochina, Milo notes, trying to get a fix on exactly what he and his generation achieved in their heroic youth. But the privilege of our generation did what they could like the rest of us. We did what we could. The slogan of the underachiever, the excuse maker, the loser. We did what we could. All human beings, including you and me, give their lives to something. Between this day and your last day, you will give your life to something. The only question is, what will you give your life to? Will it be worthy? What is the one thing you want more than anything else? What's the one thing you want more than anything else? Think you know? Today, let me tell you what it is. Everybody has a vision for what they want to do with their life. You get one life. And that vision at some point takes on a life of its own. I was talking to someone at the 58 Deli Diner just yesterday where I do my retreats. I do my personal spiritual retreats there. And at the 58 Deli Diner, the daughter of the owner came by as I was eating a, a mile-high uh, ham sandwich. She came by and said, did you know that I was leaving? And I said, no, I didn't know that you were leaving. She said, I'm going to Miami. I'm starting a whole new life. And her eyes got wide and big, and they started to sparkle. And I could see something was moving within her. She's wanting to try out her wings. She's wanting to, to go do something with something that's burning bright inside of her. She has a vision for what she can be. She has a vision for what she might be. And she wants to give it a shot. She said, I want to do this before the day comes when I regret that I did not do this. Everybody has a vision for what they want to do with their life. That's a good thing. But what's the one thing that you want to do more than anything else? Let me tell you this first. It has to be something that is bigger than you. It has to be something that's bigger than you. When someone gets that wrong, they get their whole life wrong. Recently, I saw a guy on TV who got it all wrong. 
a guy who, who tried to win. He had a vision for his life that was big. He had a desire that was as big as the desire in that woman's heart to go to Miami. And yet he got it all wrong. He played in Survivor Samoa and he made it down to the last three. He played in Heroes and Villains and he made it down to the last three. And Jeff Probst said he was the most devious player of all the Survivor seasons. Let me introduce you to I this man. To His name challenge is myself. Uh, you know, I wanted to go out there and prove that I can manipulate people. I, I really can get in people's heads and make them do what I want them to do. And that's exactly what I did. This fall on Survivor, evil has a new name. My tribe will believe anything I tell them. Russell. I can control how they think. Who on the island can stop him? I certainly feel like he's pretty slimy. I usually can get a pretty good read on somebody. No one is safe on the new Survivor. But I believe even somebody like Russell, who gets it so terribly wrong, can be turned around if he gets the right coaching. And I really like a challenge, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to put my arm around this guy, and I'm going to coach him. Okay, this is not Photoshop. This is a real picture. I am going to put my arm around Russell, and I'm going to, we're going to sit down. We're going to have Bible study. We're going to sit down. We're going to pray together. We're going to sit down, and we're going to get the right vision for life because I want him to know that there's something bigger than him that will help him understand what his life is all about. Okay, he was coming out of the elevator. I was going in the elevator, and I said, hey, you're the survivor guy, and he said, yeah, and so we took the picture. Okay. <laughs> the one thing you want more than anything else has to be something bigger than you, and you don't want to get it wrong. Because if you get it wrong, you'll get your whole life wrong. Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. He had just fed thousands and thousands of people. And now he doesn't just suggest that the disciples get in the boat and go. He compels them to go. He almost forces them to go. You go ahead. You go. you got to move on. I'm going to be here for a little while. You get in the boat and you go to the other side of the lake. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was far out on the lake. It was, uh, according to what's written here, probably in the middle of the lake, and it hasn't been a good night, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The wind was coming in hard from the west, and they were in trouble in the middle of the lake, and they knew they were in trouble. During the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so it's either pitch black or maybe you're getting the, the first inklings of dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Literally, that's the word we use today for phantom, like phantom of the opera. It's a phantom, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's me. You don't have to be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the first time the disciples together recognized him in this way. You are the son of God. Mark says, they were amazed. Let me talk to you about stepping on water. The first thing I want to say is that it's so obvious here that Jesus set the whole thing up. Jesus set it up. He compelled them to go. He knew what they were going into. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to walk out there on the water. He sets the whole thing up. He allows them to get into that situation. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Secondly, he waited for them to get into a position they could not handle on their own. So often, God just waits until we get in a position that we can't handle on our own. We can't think our way out of it. We can't plan our way out of it. We can't put enough money against it to get our way out of it. It's a situation where all we can do is know that we need something so much bigger than ourselves. We need someone so much more adept at figuring things out than what we have the ability to figure out. We need God. The boat was a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Remember a time when uh, I was at a seminary a couple years and I decided I just couldn't do church the way we were doing church at this particular place. And I, and I, I resigned from my position on staff at a church. And yet things didn't happen the way I thought they were going to happen. And suddenly I'm a husband and a father without a job and, and I'm trying to figure it out. And I can't figure it out. And I can tell you all about the Bible. I mean, I had intro to the New Testament, intro to the Old Testament. I can give you all the theories about the book of Revelation. I can find the book of Leviticus just by opening up first shot. I can tell you to open up the Bible in the middle. You'll probably hit the book of Psalms. But I can't figure out my life. And I'm having lunch with a, with a gentleman who's a lot older than me and a lot wiser than me. And I'm saying, I can't figure this out. I don't know what God is saying. He looked at me with gentle eyes. He looked at me with eyes that were full of wisdom and grace. And he said, Michael, God is saying, wait. And sometimes God says, wait, and you're in a position that you can't handle on your own. And you know that you are at his mercy. Unless he moves, you are done. And then Jesus came into their lives in an unexpected way. So often that's what God is, is hoping that we will pay attention to. 
He's coming. He's on his way. I had to wait, but he was still on his way. And it all worked out. It just took over a year for it to work out. But it all worked out so incredibly well. He comes into their lives in an unexpected way. He comes into our lives in unexpected ways. We have to keep our minds open and our hearts open. We have to look for how he's moving and who he's bringing and what he's calling us to understand. A pastor once said, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says grow. And so often as he comes in these unexpected ways, he's asking us to grow. He's asking us to see things in a new way. He's asking us to understand who he is in a whole new way. He came into their lives in an unexpected way. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Never expected to see that. He told them not to be afraid. Here it is in the the middle of this storm, in the middle of everything that's going on. It's a phantom. What is going on? It's bad enough that we feel the boat's going to turn over and now there's a ghost coming. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. It's just me. Don't be afraid. And that's what God whispers to you in that moment of your life when you go, you know, it seems like it's going down. It seems like I can't understand it. It seems like even though you're showing up, I don't know where this is all going. And he says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. We're going to get there. We're going to figure all this out. We're going to do this together, you and me. And so whether it's church or whether it's a job or whether it's your family, whatever it is, he's saying, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, Peter makes his move. This is a great verse. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Does something sound strange to you in that verse? Let's read that again. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. You don't see the wind. You don't see the wind. Peter saw the effects of the wind that were going on around him. He saw the waves. He saw his clothes blowing wildly in that wind that came in from the west. He took his eyes off of the most important person in his life. He took his eyes off of what would keep him alive in the middle of the storm. He took his eyes off the foundation of his life. He took his eyes off the only person that he could trust with his life. He saw the effects of the wind. Didn't see the wind. But then watch what it says next. I never thought about it this way until just reading this passage again, preparing to be here this morning. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. At the moment that he took his eyes off of the most important person in his life, he was just two feet away from Jesus. All Jesus had to do was go bam and grab him. And sometimes we can be so close 
to God. And God's right there with us. And we're looking all around at all the effects of everything that's swirling around in our lives, threatening to capsize us, threatening to knock us down. And all we have to do is look straight ahead at the one who cares for us more than anybody else in the world has ever cared about us. Jesus goes, bam, gotcha. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And at that moment, Jesus wouldn't let him go. He puts him back in the boat and he stayed with him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Yesterday, I was at the men's breakfast and I was talking to them about one of the words that's, that's most important to me and that word is faith. And I talked to them about the three aspects of faith the way I understand it. Faith comes alive in the middle of scary. Unless something gets real scary, you don't know what real faith is. Unless you're getting really close to the edge and God reaches out and pulls you back. You don't understand what it's like to just call out to God in that moment when you need him so desperately. Faith comes alive in the middle of scary. Faith finds a way by stretching your heart and mind Faith needs to get you out of your comfort zone. Faith needs to get you to see something beyond you. So often our lives, you know, they reduce. We're kind of reductionistic as human beings. We like to reduce things down to things that we can control and keep our hands on and, and, and manipulate in the way that we like to see it go. And so often we end up in a rut. It creates a rut in our lives. Isn't this a, a wonderful rut? We've just redecorated the rut. And we've wallpapered the rut. We've got some new furniture in the rut. Did you ever notice that a rut is still a rut, even if it looks really nice? God says, get beyond that. Get beyond that way that you are living. Get beyond that way that you are thinking Faith finds a way by stretching your heart and mind about things that are too big for you to understand, things that are part of the adventure that he's calling you into, that he's calling us into. And then finally, faith creates a strategic alliance between you and God. Faith is when God says, we're going to do this together now. I've taught you what it means to trust me. I've taught you about scary and have taught you about stretching. Now let me teach you about what's strategic and how together we can really change the world. You know, just this week, we, we booked our tickets for Togo, Africa. It's a strategic trip. It's something that God is doing. And I still can't figure it all out. But I know that God's got his hands on it. I know that God is in it to change the life of thousands of people in a village in Africa. You see, everybody has a vision for what they want to do with their life. That's a good thing. But what's the one thing you want more than anything else? It has to be something that's bigger than you. When someone gets that wrong, they get their whole life wrong. I'd like to tell you what this church is all about. This is one of those special Sundays when we need to just remember what has God done here? What, what started here 17 years ago and, and has been building and growing? If you go to our website, you'll find these there. They're listed under what our values are, the core values 
of Spring Branch Community Church. The first one is raising the level of risk when it comes to reaching people for Christ. What that means is not doing church for church's sake, not being churchy, not doing church so we can be comfortable, but trying to figure out how do we build bridges from a sacred message to a secular society? How do we communicate the greatest message in the world in a relevant way to people who really don't care about being here this morning? I'm not worried about you. You're here. I'm more concerned about people who got up this morning and said, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm just going to go where I want to go. Not even thinking about God today. I'm not even thinking about the meaning of my life today. That's what really gets me out of bed, thinking that together we can can raise the level of risk when it comes to reaching those people. We've got to continue to do that. We've got to stretch our minds around that. That's why this summer, when we do the Summer Palooza for Kids, our main focus this summer is getting new families to bring their kids to the Summer Palooza, which for the uninitiated is like the old-fashioned vacation Bible school, just taking up a few notches, you know. Um, we need new families to come and new kids to come and new families to go, hey, this would be a great place for us maybe to find some values to build our lives on. We're doing a family movie night on the 27th of this month. What better event to go, hey, we're going to go to church and have ice cream and we're going to see a movie. Why don't you come with us? We've got to stretch out there and sometimes stretching out there to invite somebody to church makes you feel a little strange or weird. But that's what we've built this church on, raising the level of risk when it comes to reaching people for Christ. Another thing we've built this church on is connecting people to authentic Christian community where they can grow. Now, I know, I've been a Christian 40 years, and I know when I'm growing and I know when I'm stalled out. I know when there's a cutting edge to my life and I know when I'm sort of flatlined. And I am committed to an environment that reaches every age level with the message of the Bible and the message of Jesus Christ and applies it to our lives at that age level, whether it's in in kindergarten or whether it's in A2 in 40s and 50s, whether it's on a student ministry retreat or whether it's on a men's or women's retreat. The truth is all of us need to connect in real Christian community and find a way to grow. And so we're going to provide that at all levels, at all times. We're going to be sitting in meetings thinking about how better can we grow people through this ministry? How can we do a better job next year than we did this year? It's something that we are passionate about because if you're not growing, you're going nowhere with your life. The third thing that we built this church on is unleashing compassion into our broken world. Unleashing compassion into a broken world. Whether we go to Nicaragua and work with the kids in orphanages down there, and we have, we have all kinds of trips going on this summer. Family trip going to, to Nicaragua. Uh, high school trip going to Nicaragua. Um, you know, we've got people going to trips out to Appalachia and, and working with ASP out there. Um, Jeremiah Project stuff going on. Middle school kids, high school kids. We're, we're doing, like I said, the Togo Africa trip. Joel Well in Africa. We've got Denmark on the radar screen where we go into a post-Christian nation that has a great heritage 
in Christianity, but it's lost their way. It's a very secular country. And we're helping to train leaders who, who are passionate about bringing their nation back to Christ. And so we want to unleash compassion into our broken world. I was privileged and honored to meet with a very broken person in between services. And it was with humility that I could say to that person, we will help you. The church will help you. When there was nowhere else to turn and nowhere else to go. And that's because you care. And that's because you give. And that's because you have hearts for a broken world. And then finally, encouraging people to own and live their spiritual journey with integrity. The only person that can that can do this, that can do any of these things is, is you. I can encourage you to grow. I can encourage you to connect. I can encourage you to raise a level of risk. I can encourage you to, to release compassion into the world. But you're the one that has to do that. At the end of the day, you have to say, I want to follow Christ. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a fully committed follower of Christ. I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I will give whatever I can give. I will invest in the future. You see, there's a great difference between being a church and being a force in the world and being a church that's a futon in the world. There's a lot of futons. Futon Christianity has never attracted me. Christianity as a force changing the world gets me out of bed and running every day. There's a difference between being a church a place you go to being a church, a whole group of people that want to walk on water together. We did what we could. Is an indictment of a generation that has planned to fail. We did what we could, what we thought was best. Doesn't cut it. Doesn't get you home at the end of the day. The one thing, what's the one thing you want more than anything else? The one thing you want more than anything else, and I believe this with all my heart, is to see God show up in the details of your life. To see him reach out and hold you up when you're going down. To see him put you back into the boat of your life and sit there with you. To have him calm the storm. You just want to have him in a real way walk with you all the days of your life, showing you what to do, showing you what's important, leading you into things that call you into being great and living a great life for him. And that's what he wants. He wants that. You want that. He wants that. Plus, he wants one thing. He wants one more thing. He wants you to live your life knowing that your next move might change everything. Your next move might change the whole game. It's probably my favorite story of all the stories that I've ever told. It sounds like a fable, it sounds like a fairy tale, but it's not. I can assure you it's not because it happened to me. I saw it. I lived it. It happened right in front of my eyes. As I tell the story, it's, it's like there's low-hanging fruit on a tree, and if you want to take it and eat it, that fruit is good, and that fruit will change your life. But it's up to you to take it and eat it. Let me tell you the story. 
long time ago, I went to a JV baseball game up in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was one of those beautiful days in June or May, and the sun was out shining, and it was just the right kind of day for a baseball game. And I took my father-in-law with me. I took Travis's grandpa along for the day and for the ride and for the game, and we drove to Williamsburg. We got to the field, and we found a bench that sat all by itself just off of the foul line in, in right field. And so we're almost on the field, and we're sitting there getting ready to watch this great baseball game. Travis is playing in the game. I got a bag of peanuts. I'm crunching peanuts. We're watching a game. It doesn't get any better than that. And so the game was one of those crazy games, and the score was 2-1 to one and 4-5 to five and 7-8 and 10-9, and, and went back and forth and back and forth. And it's one of those games that wasn't played very, very well. Baseballs were going through people's legs, and baseballs were flying over people's heads, and people were throwing it the wrong way. Lots of errors, lots of runs, lots of, of JV baseball excitement. It came down to the last inning, and we were down one run. And you can always hope for something, you know? You can always hope that God will show up in some strange way and things will turn at the very last minute. It's the last inning, two outs, but you're still hoping that maybe something will happen. And Travis gets up and something happened. He slapped a single to center field and he's on first base. Now somehow in the DNA, I got the slow gene, he got the fast gene. So the first pitch comes into the next batter and he steals second like lightning. He just steals second base. He's there. Strike one, the umpire yells. Pitcher winds up, the second pitch comes in, and he steals third base like lightning. Strike two, the umpire says. He's standing on third base. We're down one run. I look at the batter. The batter's uniform doesn't fit him. The batter looks confused. The batter's looking off somewhere. You know, he's not even looking at the pitcher. The batter's bat is on his shoulder. I'm thinking it's very close to being over at this point. I look at Travis. He's on third base. He's fast. The pitcher winds up. The pitch. Strike three, game is over. I stand up, I start walking across the field. Travis comes off third base, he starts walking toward me. We meet at about the pitcher's mound. He says this to me, I'll never forget what he says. He says, Dad, how much did we lose by? I said, Travis, you lost by one run. You should have stole home. And then he says this. If I only knew, I would have. If I only knew, I would have. You're in the game. <laughs> You're on third base. Your next move could change the game. It could change everything. If I only knew, I would have. Sometimes I stop in the middle of the day, even now, and I go, if I only knew, I would have. But just imagine with me for a second. Travis is on third base. The pitcher goes into a set position. He looks at the batter. He checks Travis. He goes to throw the ball. All of a sudden, Travis breaks for home. The pitcher might be a little rattled at this point. He might throw the ball third base. He might throw the ball in an errant fashion to the catcher. I don't know what's going to happen. All of a sudden, he breaks for home. Old men start to rise slowly to their feet and hold their heart. Women, women clutch their babies close to their chest and start to cry a little bit. Children start to scream and yell. Everybody for that moment is focused on one thing. Somebody's made a move that could change everything. And he slides into home and there's a cloud of dust. And before the dust clears, I don't know if he's safe or if he's out. But I know one thing. It's one heck of a finish to a baseball game. It's one heck of a finish 
to a baseball game. And so often, we're the ones that God sees on third base. We're the ones that we don't know what the score is. We don't know that our next move changes everything. And we say, we did what we could. And it never cuts it. We did what we could, God. And God says, no, you didn't. You should have known the score. You should have known that your next move would have broken the game wide open. You should have taken the risk to reach people for Christ. You should have connected to authentic community. You should have unleashed compassion into the world. You should have owned your own spiritual journey with integrity. There's one thing you want more than anything else. To know that God used your life to change the world. He wants that too. Time to get out of the boat. He's right there. Don't take your eyes off him. Dear Heavenly Father, more than anything else, we need you to save us from being in the game and not knowing the score of the game. More than anything else, we need you to show us what our next move is to just break it wide open. More than anything else, we want to be a church that's a force in the world. We want to be, be the church, not just go to church. Father, help us to risk. Help us to love. Help us to, to own our, our faith. Help us to be stretched by it. Help us, when it's scary, to just trust you more. Father, let us really be the church. Let us understand that you've put, that you've put a great calling into our hands. And let us, let us, let us walk on water toward you. For we ask this as the church. In Jesus' name, amen. the tall trees bend into leaning suddenly the snowflakes that fall have a meaning sprinkling the sea makes it all clean maybe there's a chance for me to go back there now that I have some direction It would sure be nice to be back home Where there's love and affection Just maybe I can convince time to slow up Giving me enough time in my life to grow up Time be my friend let me start again 
say my world is gonna change its face, but I still know where I'm going. I have had my mind spun around in space, and yet I have watched it grow. Oh, and if you're listening, God, please don't make it hard to know if we should believe in the things we Tell us, should we run away? Should we try and stay? Or would it be better just to let things be? Living here in this brand new world might be a fantasy. But it taught me to love. So it's real. Look inside our hearts to find 